Good morning, church family. You know, I was a, I came early this morning uh, with my wife at 8.30, and I was amazed at the number of people doing things. Uh, we were talking about the whole thing with volunteers, and, and they talked, had a plea for help for cleaning, but there were people here, there were kids putting stuff on, uh, putting the chairs together, uh, Noe was putting Bibles in, trash was being taken out from the wedding, and all this volunteer, volunteer stuff was going on. Corey and the crew back there are, are trying to get the mics right. and It just amazes me how um, this family works so well together. And if you're not a part of it, if you don't have you know, something to do, if you want to really be blessed, uh, just find something that looks like something you could do and volunteer to do it. It's really a blessing to serve, and there's so many different areas uh, that are open and in need of. So I just had to say something about that. I was really, really touched by the number of people that serve here. And secondly, Jason and his enthusiasm for uh, the cleaning little skit thing, which he does so well, him and his mom, forgot to announce the most important announcement Well, we canceled the men's breakfast last Saturday because of because of Levi's wedding and all this stuff. So we are going to have it uh, next Saturday, and we're going to have one of two things. It's great to see Dave Plew here. This where's Dave? Everybody, make sure to. Say hi to Dave and Kay, and he's healing up and doing better. We're either going to have Dave's biscuits and gravy and bacon and all that good stuff, or we're going to have uh, broccoli, casserole, and fruit. <laughs> so I, I'm voting for the broccoli casserole. So if you want the biscuits and gravy and bacon, see Dave. Encourage him to, to get on the stick here. Now, we're going to have good stuff either way, but more importantly, we're going to have good fellowship. Uh, going to have a discussion with the men, Lord willing, about seasons of life, finding contentment in the different seasons that we find ourselves in, whether they be age or financial or health or whatever. So come next Saturday, 9 o'clock, to have uh, a great breakfast and fellowship. Now to what, do what I was asked to do. <laughs> All the other stuff was a bonus. Luke chapter 14, we are today going to read 14. Uh, it's 15. Well, that's good news. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Talk about dropping the ball. Or passing the buck, whichever. Fifteen, what are we doing here? Eleven through thirty-two. Okay. Laughter is good medicine for the soul. We're still doing parables either way, fourteen or fifteen, so that's the good news. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, 
The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you this morning and we are so grateful for the price that you paid for us. We're so blessed to be called your children, your sons and your daughters. I just pray this morning that you would anoint your word, that it would go forth and Do the intended purpose this morning in each one of our hearts. Anoint Jackie, anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Wouldn't it be funny if I said, now turn to Luke 14? (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) <laughs> As we come to uh, a very well-known parable, right? All of us have heard it, but I think a lot of us have focused in the wrong places when we look at the parable. In fact, we call it by the wrong name. We call it the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And then prodigal comes through 
through uh, that tradition to have a fairly negative connotation. And uh, I think it's more apt to be called the, the two lost sons and the prodigal father. Because really, the concept of, of what a prodigal is, a prodigal is someone who lavishes or gives extravagantly. Now, you can do that in waste, like a son who takes his fortune and wastes it all. Or you can do that as a father, as he forgives his son and lavishes extravagantly love upon him. So as we look at this story, I just want to challenge you. Set aside traditions. Traditions are the bane of our existence. <laughs> Especially if a tradition is a little sideways. And let's just see what it, what's Jesus doing. We got three parables laid out before us. We looked at two last week, you remember? The scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Lord, you know, you're always hanging out with these dirty, no good, rotten sinners. Right? Otherwise known as tax collectors and prostitutes. Or tax collectors and sinners, depending on what version you have. It's all the same. And as we look at it, (laughs) Jesus then tells them three parables. And he tells them the first two, the first ones we looked at. Remember the lost sheep? A shepherd lost one, left the 99, and went after the one. There's a seeking to save that which is lost. And when it's found, what happens? Rejoicing. Celebration, right? Celebration because what was lost has been found. Then we see the value increase from one out of a hundred sheep to one in ten coins. Now she, the, the woman loses one of her coins. She turns over the house and there's a seeking, right? She's looking for that which is lost. And when she finds that which is lost, what happens? Celebration. We see in a common theme, right? It starts with the scribes and the Pharisees looking at the people who are following Jesus and his call to discipleship. And they're saying, look, it's these these tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts. They're, They're following him and standing apart, a little removed, are the Pharisees. And they're they're wondering what's going on. Why is it like this? So Jesus is going to tell them three stories. First two illustrate how it ought to be. Third one illustrates how it is. And as they come to this story, really the focus that I think we ought to, uh, or, or the focus where our attention ought to be is on the older brother. And asking the question of, am I an older brother or a younger brother? Which one of these in this story, which one relates to me? Which one points to me? Well, let's take a look at it. He begins in the very beginning with the sinful rebellion of the younger child, right? The younger son. It says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine now. You don't see that? Because in reality, that's what he's asking for. I want my inheritance now. I don't really love you. I want what's mine. I want what belongs to me. I love your stuff, 
Dad, I love that nice new car you got and the stuff you got in the garage and all the things laying around the house that I can have a part of. I love your checking account and what's in the savings. I love all that stuff. So can I please have it? If we remove ourselves from that reality, you're missing a big chunk of the story. Remember when we looked at Hosea in Hosea chapter 6 verse 4. The Lord looking over his people says, What shall I say to you, Ephraim? What shall I do to you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud. Like the dew that goes early away. Here today and... Then in verse 6, God says, This is what I want. Look what he says. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. God says, I want your, another word for steadfast love is faithful love. I want your faithful love, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Now this is all going to play a part all the way through, because what's drawing the younger son is this, this idea of the stuff. His issues are all on the outside. We can see them. If you were there at that family meeting, you would see tears in a father's eyes, as he gives his son what he really loves and watches him walk out the door. That's just the reality of what's going on. Give me my part. I like your good things, but I don't like you. I want to go live my life. We were all kids once and or we survived children of our own or we're about to. And you'll hear these things. Just a real part of life, a real part of what happens, what can, what can go on in our lives. It says, what was, the, what was the result? What happens? Look what it says in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he took all that the father had given him, all that stuff that was so important to him, all the things that were so important to him, he took those things and he wasted them. One of the probably the more challenging books I've ever read is by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. It's not a bad read if you're willing to be challenged. With the idea being not to live a life of wastefulness, wasted opportunities, um, we don't want to see those things happen. But this young man, he, he takes all that he has. He goes out. This is all I want in the world. And he takes it out and he wastes it all. Squandered. It's gone. Scripture says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. The first thing that happened as he took all these things that were so vital to him, all these things that he thought were so important, is exactly what happened to the children of Israel when they had this incredible desire for meat. Children of Israel were out in the wilderness and they were upset. They were tired of manna. Right? They've had manna bread, manna waffles, manna hotcakes, manna everything they could think of. And so they're longing for something they don't have. Right? Something else. In essence, uh, this, this sustenance, this provision, well, it's just, this doesn't satisfy. We, did, we need something else. So the Lord sent quail. 
And they ate as much quail as they could stomach, right? They feasted on the quail. But it says in Psalm 106.15, He gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. Oh, it's another way to say that. The, the New King James, I like the, the poetic of the New King James. He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. He gave them what they asked for. But the result of getting what you want sometimes is emptiness. Isn't that where the prodigal is now? The prodigal son, the first lost son? Where's he at? He's in emptiness. All that stuff's gone. But he's discovered that the desires of his heart were not satisfied. By taking all that he had, all that was freely given to him and doing whatever he wanted to with it, still was not satisfied. That not the story every day in our papers? How, how do people who have it all, when at least as far as we're concerned, we look from the outside in, why is it that they commit suicide, that they give up? How can these guys with incredible voices and incredible careers in the music industry and seemingly at the top of their game just decide, nope. And you hear or read their memoirs or see what people say about them, and there's a common theme through it all. I got to the top of the mountain, and it's empty here. I conquered all the things I thought I needed to conquer, but it's empty here. The Lord granted the request, but sent leanness, an emptiness. We've all heard the phrase, I'm not really super stoked on some of the concepts about it, but I'm going to say it anyway, that within each of us there is that which only God can satisfy. Some people would call it a God-shaped hole, right? There is a desire. C.S. Lewis said, if we have a desire for which nothing on this earth can satisfy, then we should understand that we were created for something more. Something greater, something better, something more satisfying. The reality is, this is what this lost son is discovering. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 it says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly, their desires. Not, it's not so much about weight. It's about what do you want? What, what drives you day in and day out? Just your desire? Because sooner or later that desire is going to fade, no? I mean, some guys are more, more motivated than others, and they'll <coughs> work longer and harder to achieve a goal. But once you've got to that goal, if that goal is not that which will satisfy your desire, if all that goal is is a culmination of earthly desire... You get to the end and you say, I'm still on top of the mountain and I'm full of emptiness. There's nothing here. There's nothing, there's nothing here. It wasn't worth it. It's not worthy for the, the effort that was given. So this is where this, this lost son finds himself. A time of famine. Hunger. Emptiness. Regret comes calling. Verse 14, it says, And when he had spent everything, at severe famine arose, 
God touches, God moves, and he begins to be in need. So that so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Here's how that sounds for you and me. How did I get here? When I started my life, I I never intended to be a tax collector. Or when I started my life, I never intended to be a prostitute. Or when I started my life, I never set out to be an addict. That's exactly what this verse is all about. He was in want, he's empty, he doesn't have anything he needs, he's hungry. So he attaches himself to some guy and ends up a pig farmer. Now for a Jew, a pig farmer is as low as you can go. For us, maybe there's, there's something else that we want to understand. But who in Jesus' story is he relating this, this younger son to? Who is the younger son? The tax collectors and the sinners. Why? Because we're going to see him respond as they do. How did I get here? My life is a culmination of my choices. So he hires himself. He sells himself for his desire. There's other words for that, right? Oh, I would never be as, as low as a prostitute yet. In a lot of ways, we prostitute ourselves all the time. When I sell myself for my desire, I sell myself because my God is my belly. I I want, therefore I go. And living to satisfy only self leads just to one place. Destruction. And there in this pigsty, the younger son comes face to face with it. It says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Pods. uh, Most commentaries say these are the carob pods. And they're sweet and dumb, lame looking. I don't know, maybe it is. I just figure it's slop, and I don't want nothing to do with slop. You ever seen what a pig eats or a dog eats or an animal eats and think, I want that? I can tell you right now, never have I watched a pig eat and thought, I'm hungry. (laughs) I watch it, unless I see bacon somewhere, that's, (laughs) then maybe. But otherwise, that's not going to drive me into hunger. I've never been at the place where I'm so hungry, my desire is gnawing on me so much, that you look in the lowest place. You, You would never, none of those people, if you find an addict or a prostitute on the street or any of these guys who are at the depth of despair in their life none of them said this was my goal in life i climbed to the top of the mountain and now i'm a drug addict now i haven't had a shower in weeks my teeth were all falling out of my head this is my goal in life nobody says that what they say is how did i get here How did the choices of my life lead me to this place? And so we look and we see he's he's become an outcast. Just like they are. Just like those people in the reality of our story as the Pharisees look at those 
coming to Christ and wonder, Lord, why would you take these? Look at them. Those are sinners. Their lives messed up. I mean, they chose this stuff. They, they went out and did these things. Lord, why would you take them? Why would you take these? They became the outcasts. They would say, nobody helps me. Following my desire for satisfaction without that which truly satisfies has led me here. And I am the skeleton at the feast. Life was full of feasting, partying, chasing desire. And then in the end, I discover I was a skeleton at the feast. What we were feeding on was me. And now there's not much left. And this is the younger son. This is the younger son in this place. So it says in verse 17, he recognizes where he's at. It says, but when he came to himself, I love that phrase. Because if you are a younger son, in your experience, there's only one or two. You're either a younger son or an older son. If your experience is that of a younger son, and you've had this moment where you came to yourself, where you said, what am I doing? And you made some choices to do what the Bible calls repentance, then that phrase is going to have some special meaning to you. He came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And I perish for hunger here. Man, the day laborers at my dad's place, they have food. What am I doing here? Now once upon a time, all he wanted from his father was his stuff. Now all he wants to do is go back to his father and serve him. Because it's better to be a servant in my father's house than to be down here chasing my own desires. This is where he's come. This is what he has come to. He came to himself because our sin blinds us. And sin's goal is destruction. And if we run far enough down that road, we will be destroyed. But 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, But if we judge ourselves truly... We would not be judged. He came to himself. He recognized where he's at and what's going on. And then look what happens. This is a perfect picture of repentance. I will arise and go to my father. I am changing my direction. I have come far enough this way. I'm going to turn around and go back. That's repentance. To turn around, to change your direction, to change the road you're on. He left his road, his way, and went back to his father. Look at the, his confession. Here's his confession. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. What's his confession? I have sinned. I'm a mess. I'm broke. I'm a broken man before you. And I am no longer worthy. <laughs> I have a little problem with that phrase. But we'll talk about that in a, in a little while. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's 
true understanding of where he is, right? Where the younger brother is. This is where he's at. This is his humility. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. His confession, I have sinned. I'm broken. I'm not worthy. And then listen to his submission. Treat me as one of your day laborers. Make me your servant. Make me your servant. Which implies, not no more do I want to decide what I'm going to do. If you work for somebody else, who decides what you do? Who decides when you get a day off? Who decides what time you come in? Who decides what time you go home? If you work for somebody else, that's a position of submission, right? Well, the younger son, he has a position of submission now before the father. I want to work for you. You tell me when to come, when to go, and I will do it. And I would say this is the beginning. That's the beginning of submission. To come and say, (coughs) I want to be one of your hired workers. I want to be one of your day laborers. The the Greek word is mystheon. But mystheon becomes doulos before very long. The difference is, mystheon is is coming and saying, you know, I'm, I'm willing to work and, and for whatever wage we decide is, is agreeable. Dulos becomes a bondservant, becomes a, a person who says, I just want to serve you. Starts with one, and it moves to the other. This is what we're going to see. It won't be very long. He's not going to get some of these words out when he sees his father. So this is the decision he, he makes. He gets up, he leaves the, the pig's pen, he turns to go. It says in verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. I love this. But as we discuss this, I also want to remind you, something's missing in this story. What's missing? A sheep was lost. And there was a seeker who left the 99 and went after the one. Yes? A coin was lost and there was a seeker who who went looking for the coin. Right? Something's missing in this story. Something is missing. Or is it? So the father saw him while he was a long way off. The idea is that the father is sitting out on the patio looking down that long and winding road for his son. We have no idea how long he's gone. But he's sitting there looking for him. And when he sees him, he probably thinks he's seeing things for a minute. But then it says that when he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. Just so you know. In that culture, the patriarch running down the road was never supposed to happen. The patriarch walked. Sons run. But in this case, the father runs. He he doesn't care how it looks. He doesn't care if he loses face. He runs to his son. He can't wait to get there. And what's the first thing he does? Start yelling at him about where you been? Where's my money? <clears throat> what did you do with it all? 
Are you sure you don't have any diseases? He tells him, you know, before you come in, we're going to take a shower and get you cleaned up because you look like you've been in a pigsty. Is that what he says? He runs immediately up to him, throws his arms around him, embraces him, and kisses him. Literally all over his face. Kisses him all over his face. It's an extravagant show of love. Extravagant. He, he doesn't care what it costs him. He doesn't care. This is where I get the idea of the prodigal father. Because the father's going to lavish extravagantly love on his son. On both sons. He goes and he, he throws his arm and he, and he kisses him. He's not clean. He's not presentable. But he's willing to come. Just like he is. Without one plea. Bowing the knee before his father. The affection is overwhelming. He's not stoic. He's passionate. He's excited. He's weeping. His son's weeping. All of this is going on. All of this is happening. And and this overwhelming (coughs) reception of his father. And the son... Said to his father, Father, he starts his speech. We've seen it, right? Earlier. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Father's not going to let him do anything or say anything else. Because the father is lavishly pouring out grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. On the younger son. Man, it's such an incredible thing to see. His father said to the servants, Quick! Don't not don't wait. Don't lollygag. Don't come walking over to me. Hurry up. Go get a robe. The best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet. <clears throat> and bring the fattened calf. And kill it. And let us eat. And celebrate. The robe is a robe of nobility. He's given his position back. The ring is a ring of authority. He's given him the authority as his son again. The shoes say, you're not a slave. You're my son. Slaves went barefoot. Sons wore sandals. In Isaiah 61.10, Scripture says this, I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The Father covers the Son with all these things. Now, most of the time, you didn't eat meat in that culture. It was not like us. We, We eat meat all the time. Meat was special occasions. And the most special of all special occasions was the fattened calf. Nobody just had like a hundred fattened calves laying around that they just randomly used whenever. So this was extravagant. And when you did the fattened calf, you didn't just say, oh, we're going to sit down, me and my son, and we're going to have the fat calf. No, if you were having the fattened calf, you called the neighbors, family, friends, everyone. Remember the other stories. What happened when what was lost was found? What, what occurred? 
Rejoicing celebration, right? This is the same thing we're seeing here. A rejoicing, a celebration. <coughs> Neighbors far and wide are going to come and be a part of this. It says, bring the fattened calf, verse 23, and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Part 1. Act 1 of the story. The younger son didn't, didn't love his father or loved his father's things. And he went out satisfying his desires, living a life to satisfy his desires, until that life brought him to wreckage. And in his wreckage, he thought, man, how did I get here? I need to go back to my father's house. I want to be a servant in his home. I want to leave this life, and I want to go back there. And so he takes the journey back home. The father immediately loves him, showers him, gives him the robe, gives him the ring, gives him the shoes, and has a huge feast celebrating the return of his son. That's the story of the younger son, and that's some of our stories. Our lives look just like that. But in the illustration that Jesus gives, that's not the only thing going on. You see, looking at him with these crazy looks in their eyes is a group of Pharisees trying to understand how or why that's a good thing. So Act 2 begins. Act 2 begins with the older brother. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. Hmm, what's going on? And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Now this Picture of mercy and forgiveness is going to make the older brother angry. He's mad. And there's a few reasons why. Justifiable reasons. For one, uh, the fattened calf is coming out of his pocket. You remember when it said the father divided the inheritance and gave it to them. One third went to the younger. Two thirds went to the older. Everything that the father showered upon the younger son in essence was costing the elder son to the younger son it's free somebody always pays for grace and mercy somebody always pays the older son he's angry he's mad he eats with tax collectors and sinners that no good but look at verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. Let me say it like this. Dad, I hate you. What do you mean? It was so degrading to have a huge celebration in those days and have your son, your heir, refuse to come to the party. You don't think everybody knows? Hey, where's Johnny? He's out there. He won't come in. He won't come in. He says he says that he says his father's a fool. And he's not going to have anything to do with this. Both sons are just as guilty. Just 
one is a little easier for us to see. And the other maybe challenges us a little bit. He's angry. You don't know what you're doing, Dad. So, his father, because of love for his older son, once again suffers a loss of face. Because while a father was not supposed to run, neither would a father leave his party and go to his son. But this father leaves. Why? Because he loves extravagantly. He loves lavishly. And he doesn't just love one son, he loves them both. So much that he don't care if everybody thinks or what anybody thinks of him. He turns around and goes out to talk to his son. He goes out to him. It says his father came out and entreated him. He refuses to enter. I'm better than him, dad. I'm better than him. In fact, I'm so good, I'm not even sure that it could be heaven if I'm not there. Hosea 6.4, the Lord said, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Verse 6, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Faithful love knowledge of me but this son is full of resentment and as he looks at the patriarch of the family which by the way is a very esteemed position even if the inheritance is already done dad's not cut out dad is still the head he looks at his father and he says look you ever had one of those conversations with your kids wait a minute what did you just say Look, you're not going to be able to look in a minute. You do that one more time. My name's not Look. Looky here. What in the world? You, do you hear the anger, the hate, the resentment? He said, look, these many years I have served you. And I have never disobeyed your command. You never (coughs) gave me a goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, it's not my brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Doesn't take very long for the older brother's boasting to turn to blaming That's not my brother. The Bible tells us a few stories between brothers. There was once a brother who said, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer should have been, Yeah, you are. He served his father. He did all the things that he needed to do for what? To get what he was owed. That's the problem with the elder son. 
The younger son despised the brother, just wanted the good things to satisfy his desires. The older son, he said, if I do these things, if I do A, B, C, D, then I get a good life. What happens if you do A, B, C, D, and something goes wrong? How does the elder son respond to that? The elder son represents the scribes and the Pharisees who are standing just a little ways off from Jesus and considering the story that he said. Those same who couldn't rejoice over the repentance, the confession, the proclamation of the tax collectors and the prostitutes that were coming to Jesus stood afar off and said, Hey, hey, we live a good life and we should get what's coming to us. You Oh me. That is the sin of the elder son. You owe me, dad. You owe me. And sometimes that is the attitude that we have when we consider our relationship with God. Is that how we think about it? Either we're being drawn away by our desires or we are saying, you owe me, God, I did A, B, C, D. Where's, where's the stuff that belongs to me? I walked the life I'm supposed to walk. I did the things I'm supposed to do. Not because I love you, Dad. Not because I love you. Not because I want to honor you. I did these things to get that. You owe me. And he stands before his father proclaiming this fact that his dad has made a mistake And so he said to him, this is the father speaking, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. The father to the son, just like the younger brother, now looking to the older brother, he's going to continue to offer lavishly his love. He says, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Come to the feast. And then Jesus stops the story right there. Did the older brother come in? Remember when we looked at this story, I said, hey, we got the story of two sons. Both of them are lost. One of them repents, confesses, comes back, lavished prodigally. His father pours out his love upon him. Has a feast. The other brother sins against his father, despises his father, thinks his father owes him. And so the father goes out to him to say, Oh, whoa, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. Come. Just like Jesus was saying, even as the tax collectors and the sinners are coming to him, he would say to the Pharisees, I want you too. But I've only come to the sick. And the problem with the elder son is he doesn't think there's anything wrong with him. I always do what's right. I always do what's good. I always do the things that I'm supposed to do. It is his goodness that masks his battle with God. For in reality, the elder son is declaring himself to be his own savior. I don't need you, dad. I don't need you. The elder son is committed to make things work, to follow the do's and the don'ts. But he's not submitted 
He's not willing to do what we sang earlier this morning. You look at the story of the book of Job. The book of Job, I think, describes some interesting things. I don't want to get too into it. I, I could probably talk about it too much. The book of Job, I think, is referencing the reality that the children of Israel are struggling with in the exile. I think the book of Job is is a story designed to teach uh, a moral reality. That reality being, you know, just being good doesn't mean that God owes you something. There's not some special thing that, that God has to give you. When Job is in his, his complaining and pleading to God, God, I've done all the things I'm supposed to. Why is my life so hard? God says to Job, where were you when I made the world? When I rounded up chaos... When I, when I brought chaos together and I controlled him, Leviathan and Behemoth. The book of Job doesn't answer the question, why is there suffering? The book of Job answers this question. Be faithful and trust God in suffering. Where were the children of Israel? In exile. They've, maybe they felt like they'd done everything right, but they're in a bad place. You remember that verse that the Bible uses for when they were in exile? You guys might have it on your fridge. Yeah? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you what? Ah, a future and a hope. That's the point. And he comes to that place and he says, Though you slay me, yet I will serve you it's you i'm after god it's you it's not the good things you can give me it's you i want god not just whether or not if i do everything you tell me to do my life will be perfect it's you i want and that's where job gets job gets to the point where he says it's you it's not all this other stuff it's not all these other things god it's you that's how job becomes the champion and that's the message from the two sons. The answer for both sons is the same, right? Whether you think I've done enough good deeds to outweigh my bad, <clears throat> or you've had a riotous, crazy life running down the wrong road. The answer is the same. Last thing I said, I said every other parable had an elder son who went. Every other parable had, an, uh, or had, a, had someone who sought. Someone who went. And in this parable, I think the point was, that was supposed to be the role of the elder brother. But you see, we, you and I, no matter what extreme we're on, the lowly, or at least the one who thinks more exalted, someone had to seek us. There's a story in Vietnam that a, a soldier had been wounded and was missing in action. True story, it's the, time, the Times did the, the article. And so his brother back in the States sold everything, wasn't in the army. He just came to Vietnam to look for his brother. Just wandering through the jungle. And everybody said, you're crazy, they're, they're going to kill you, it's not safe, you can't do it. And he said, nope, I, 
I've got to find my brother. And so he went. And every village he came to, they had a name for him. They called him, they just called him the brother. And nobody ever messed with him. Nobody ever attacked him. He just went to the jungle looking for his brother. Somebody's got to be looking for the lost. Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, I've come to seek and to save who? The lost. He's the elder brother. He's the one that is seeking and saving. But he's saying, he gives out this teaching to say, look man, you, you, these people right here who are coming to me that you're degrading, they're, they're responding, but you're not. And you need this too. And all the while, every time Jesus did one for one, he, he was there. He, he, if he ate with a tax collector and a sinner, he ate with a Pharisee. Because he wanted to reach them with the truth. He wanted to reach them with what they need. Maybe today you're the, the younger son. Maybe you've begun your journey home. I hope you finish it today. It don't have to take very long. Maybe today you're the elder. <clears throat> Baby, you're not sure. How do I know? You ever said this? I don't think I could ever forgive them. I can't understand. I would never do something like that. That's what the elder brother says. But the road is the same. Just come to Jesus. Repent of the nonsense. Leave all that garbage behind. There are two lost sons. Both are sinners. One sin is really easy to see. The other one's a little tougher. One looks bad. One looks good. But both need a savior. One responds. But will the other? That's where Jesus leaves his story before the Pharisees. They've responded. Will you? That's the point in Luke chapter 15. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to study, to search the scriptures, to allow them to bring life, God. It's your word, the word of God that is the final arbiter in all things in our life. Your word is truth. God, you, you lay out for us this morning in this, <laughs> in this parable that there are two lost sons in need. One is a bad son. He repents. The other is a good son. He looks good. One sin is on the outside. The other is in the heart. Sometimes that sin in our heart, we just lie to ourselves. God, I pray if there are young sons or old sons here, young daughters or old daughters in this place that find themselves on one side or the other of this story, God, you're calling them to repentance.
Just change that road where you become your own savior and you do enough good to outweigh the bad and you have a God who owes you something. Just come to the God who has something for you. Come to the God who has the the best in mind and maybe have eyes open to see that you are not the center of the universe. He is. And He loves you. And He wants you. In fact, He left the feast to come to you. He crossed the chasm of divinity to be clothed in humanity. To walk in your shoes. To come down the road to where you are and say, I came for you. I want you to come to the feast. I want you to be at the celebration. Because the celebration is for you too. For all who will answer the call. For everyone who will come. Man, if God's talking to you today, don't, don't tell yourself another lie. Just lay it down. And realize that He is the solution for the desire that I can't quench. That Jesus is what I need in my, my life. Not so that my life will be easy and good and better. Jesus is what I need in my life so that my life's not wasted. I need Him. And as I follow Him, He promises, He says that the feast that I have for you will be worth it all. So Paul would declare, I do not even consider this present suffering compared to the glory which shall be revealed. Because you are enough. You are everything we need. God, I pray that as we worship, as your spirit moves in this place, God, that we could come to understand and realize that you indeed, God, are mighty to save. You are able to take us from the guttermost to the uttermost. So, Lord, I pray as we worship, as we turn our eyes toward you, as prayer counselors are available, anybody who has been touched by the Lord this morning will come and make it right. Now's the time. Today's the day. In Jesus' name, amen.